turn then, if you will, this morning to our text, which comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Next, we will read the whole thing, 3 through 11, but I'm going to split it in two. So this week, we're looking at 3 through 7. Next week, 8 through 11. So hear with me the reading of God's Word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Here, um, what underlies Paul's motivation in telling the saints what it is that brings him joy in prayer is not unlike a tactic that many of us have used. Uh, For example, wives. It's got to be nice to feel uh, when your husband gives you a compliment. You like compliments from your husbands. But as husbands, uh, we're not really good at giving compliments all the time. And when we do give compliments... Uh, sometimes we think that they're compliments, but they're not received by you as compliments. And so it may have been better that we just remain quiet and didn't say anything. But for those times, though, that we do compliment you, and, you, and it's a good compliment, and it's well-received, your response then usually is something like, oh, that was very nice of you. You, you, you made my day. You made me real happy. Thank you for saying such a thing. And you said that in order to tell us that, that was a good compliment, that you were exciting us to continue in the future to make compliments of that same kind. This is what the Apostle's motivation is in writing to the saints those things which cause him joy and bring him to prayer. As Paul, in these five verses that we are looking at this morning, tells them that what brings him joy is their partnership in the Gospel and his confidence of their perseverance and of the grace they partake of with him both in his imprisonment as well as in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so Paul tells them these things for the same reason the wife tells her husband good job when he gives a real compliment. It is because he wants them to continue in these things. He wants them to know that he was brought to joy in prayer because of their partnership in the gospel. So those times when these saints grow tired and weary, they can think back to this, saying to themselves, Yes, we are tired. Yes, we are weary. But let us remain faithful for we've seen how much joy this brought to our brother Paul. So let us push through even though we're, we're tired from all the muck. All that may accompany one who is faithful to the gospel. Lost friendships. Perhaps hatred from those who surround them. Financial loss. Anxiety. Stress. I mean, Paul himself dealt with abandonment. We hear in 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, verse 15, Paul describes some who abandoned him, saying, you are all aware that, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. In chapter 4, verse 10, he also says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Paul, in his labor in the gospel, experienced abandonment and desertion from those whom he followed, who, 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 those who once labored with him, who followed after him. And we likewise in our lives experience something similar, like those who we once were in the faith with who abandoned the faith, who maybe succumbed to the, the love of this world, people we were close to, perhaps family members. And what was our response? It, called, it caused us sadness. It can suck the joy from you. Make you feel exhausted as you feel the weight of all those battle scars. Yet also, what we can learn something from Paul's prayer. What we can learn from Paul's prayer is that what we do can have great effect on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? The saints of Philippi brought Paul joy even though he was imprisoned. You see, some may be tired. They may be worn out, weary. But we have the ability to bring joy to our brothers and sisters when they see others taking up the cause of the gospel. Right? Even though they may be tired and weary, it can bring joy and delight to them seeing that all of their labor was not for vain. It can invigorate a weary soul. Think about um, any, any sports team. Usually you know, someone's out playing on, on the court and they get pulled off because they're tired. But then they see their teammates out there, right? And they're playing well and they stand up and they're, they're clapping and they're encouraged and they're reinvigorated. They want to almost get back out there. They're no longer tired as they once were. And so when we hear of the opportunity that our brothers and sisters had to proclaim the gospel, to share Christ with others, this should be a source of joy for us. This should cause us joy. And perhaps in doing so, we're even bringing joy to others who may have just heard this and we don't even know that. Yet at the same time, what we need to understand is that what we do can also have a negative effect on our brothers and our sisters. When you sin against God or when you sin against one another, this can cause hurt, sadness, sorrow. When you cause division, when you deny Christ both in word and deed, this can harm your brothers and sisters. An example of this would be Paul, distressed by the Galatians. If you turn two books to the left, look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. We'll read about how this distressed Paul, the Galatians turning back to the works of the law. Galatians 4, verse 12, Paul says this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am 
I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Here we see that Paul feels anguish. These are his spiritual children in Christ and have now turned away from the gospel that he preached and that they had received. This truth hurts him. He doesn't want to see their spiritual desertion from the truth. Turning back to ceremonies and rituals which they once turned away from. Having received the Spirit by the hearing with faith. Becoming free. He desperately does not want to see them become enslaved once more. And so that we see that what we do can have an effect on our brothers and sisters. A great effect upon them. And so this should motivate us as Christians if we love one another as we say we do, to not only remain faithful to the Gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ, but to remain faithful to the Gospel for the sake of one another. We should strive for constancy and steadfastness and faith for the spiritual welfare of each other. The Christian life isn't just about you and your personal relationship with Christ. Christian life is not just about you and your personal relationship with Christ. Yes, you have been justified by faith individually, but God did not leave you to yourselves. He gathered us into a body. And so what one body member does affects the rest of them. Think of the family unit. If a husband decides to cheat on his wife, not only does that affect the husband, it affects the wife. It affects the children. Our tendency is to look out at what's best for us. Right? But is this what we're called to? Is this what the Christian's called to? Is this what Paul will say later in chapter 2 when he says to put the interest of others ahead of yourself, to esteem others more highly than yourself? Right? No. What the Galatians are doing is, is selfish. They're hurting their brother Paul and turning away from the Gospel. Yet Paul's prayer should also teach us that we need to find joy in spiritual things. Paul's situation was not a good one. To be a Christian under the reign of Emperor Nero was a scary and terrible thing. If anyone's familiar with Nero, uh, in the history books it tells us that this emperor was not a good one. He liked to amuse people by killing Christians. So we have stories of Nero where he would dress Christians up in animal fur and allow uh, dogs to attack them and to devour them alive. He would crucify Christians. Also, he would use Christians as human torches. He would stick them in his garden and set them on fire to illuminate the night sky. This is whom Paul was under. And so we know that Paul surely knew that this could be his end. And actually, in 67 AD, Paul is said to have been beheaded by Nero. And yet Paul knew that this could be the case. He is not focused on the physical well-being which was at stake, but rather he continued throughout this whole time to feed his spirit. He was thankful and made use of prayer, continually walking with God, feeding what is his spirit to remain spiritually minded, considering how Christ was being preached to the nations, considering how people were being converted to Christ. These were the things that he dwelt upon and he he considered. These are the things which kept Paul's mind occupied dwelling upon the closeness he shared with his fellow believers who likewise experienced 
persecution and suffering. He was not alone. You see, there is a closeness, there is a oneness that takes place with believers in the midst of adversity and persecution and trial. And so this leads us then to our first of three points this morning. As we think about oneness through adversity, the first point will be the partnership in the gospel. Our second point will be perseverance until the end. And the third point, partakers of grace. So partnership, perseverance, partakers. So to begin with our first point, look at what Paul initially says brought him joy in verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There is a fellowship which exists amongst believers that you can have in no other relationship. Think about it, how often we see each other. For a long time it was Sunday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday nights. We've seen each other more than we've seen our own family. right? Brothers and sisters in Christ gathering together more often than we gather with our own natural brothers and sisters. And so just being around each other that much, a bond is formed. Yet, what is it that brings us together and cements that bond? As much as we might like each other, if it wasn't for something outside of ourselves, we might not want to be together so much. Right? Not to say that we wouldn't be friends with each other if we just met at a grocery store or something. But even then, we wouldn't want to spend so much time during the week with one another. So what is it that brings us together? What is it that drives us together? Well, Paul says it's our partnership in the Gospel. Partnership or fellowship, meaning a sharing in. So Paul's saying it's our sharing in of the gospel together that drives us together, that cements our bond. We share in the gospel. That is why we are together so often. John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, it is through faith that we have fellowship in the Gospel as we share in the Spirit. We share in Christ our Savior. And so we each are seeking the same end. We seek to glorify God through the proclaiming of, of, of the Word so that sinners may be converted, that His people would be sanctified. We seek the same end in glorifying God, which is why we gather together on Sunday mornings for that aim. I mean, it's a hard reality that it is only believers who we are going to be with in the life to come. Because we love our mothers, we love our fathers, we love our brothers, we love our sisters. But the reality is is that if they are not believers in Jesus Christ, they will not be with us in heaven. And so we don't have this in common with them. And so even those we love, if they are earthly family members and not spiritual family members, we don't have this in common with them. We have two different driving things that are driving us. All right? We are heavenly minded. They are earthly minded. Their goal is to enjoy life while it lasts. To have all their fun and joy now. To do everything that they desire while they are still alive. We've all heard of bucket lists, right? The bucket list is those things that we want to do before we die. And so the, the people in this world, they, they probably got a big long list. And on top of that list is something like snorkeling with dolphins or something like that. But as Christians, what should be on the priority? What should be top on our bucket list? To do the will of God. 
those things, spiritual things should be things on the top of our bucket list, not earthly things, for our time is short. And so there isn't much in common with unbelievers that we want to fellowship and get together about because we are fellowshipping about spiritual things and they want to do only earthly things. Our minds are in two different places. Our, our hearts are in two different places. And yet, how were these saints said to be partners with Paul in the Gospel? Well, in many ways. We're told that they provided financial support. We'll see later in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in, uh, with me in giving and receiving except you. They had care and concern for Paul, they provided, so they provided him with monetary gain in order to go around and preach the gospel. Likewise, they also prayed for Paul. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. We need to, as God's people, be steadfast and devoted to prayer for both our ministers those who proclaim the gospel, as well as one another. For we know the prayer of the righteous availeth much. God answers prayers. He, des- he desires the prayers of the saints, and He desires and uh, is pleased to answer our prayers according to His will. I mean, upon hearing of other churches who you know pray for us, does not does that not bring you joy? Does not, that not bring you appreciation? Right. And so Paul, alone in jail could find it easy to feel forgotten, to feel abandoned, to feel alone, but he was not. As we hear, and he knows, others were thinking of him. Others were praying and interceding on his behalf, which made him confident that the Lord would deliver him. He had hope, knowing that the saints were praying for his deliverance. Yet these saints were not just sitting idly by. No, they were engaged in the same battle and warfare as Paul was. As Paul will say later in verse 29 and 30, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Think of the camaraderie that exists between those heroes of war who go out to do battle. Think of that camaraderie when they they return back and they all have experienced and saw the, the terrors of war. And they all are dealing with the effects of war as they return. Right? They shared in this common experience in which, which created this common bond. Right? When you experience common things, it brings you closer together. And so these saints were likewise engaged in the same conflict as Paul we hear over the Gospel. And he knew that they were to suffer, perhaps not to the same degree as Paul, but they were partners in war, experiencing conflict. They shared in adversity and persecution. And this made them close. As they were fighting for the same side, they were on the same team. They were of one mind, in one faith. And so when one suffered, they all suffered. But this brought them closer together. They were all willing to risk life and limb for Christ. And so we see how the gospel, the partnership in the gospel, brought them closer together. How imprisonment, attacks from unbelievers, was not going to stop them from supporting and encouraging one another. Yet all shared in a different role. 
All shared in a different role. Don't think because you aren't jailed for the gospel that you aren't a partner in the gospel. We all have a different role. You share in the gospel when you pray for your minister. You share in the gospel when you give money to your minister. You share in the gospel when you proclaim it to others. We all share a different role. But we all, likewise, all share in the same glory though. We all share in that heavenly inheritance together. Yet how else are these saints being brought together? How, how else are they being made one through adversity? What else does Paul say is a reason for his joy? Well, verse 6 he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here we have point two. Perseverance until the end. These saints were being brought close through adversity as each of them were being perfected, yet at the same time they were being told to work out their own salvation. And so as God works, they each are also working. They have this in common. Yet it is not themselves who are the source of this work. It is God. You see, this was the problem that Paul was having in the churches in Galatia. If you recall, Paul is forced to address this in that letter. Paul rhetorically asked in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the answer is obviously no. What God has begun, God will complete. You see, they were turning back to the law for their righteousness. But one will not be found righteous according to the law. And so what is it that Paul tells the Philippians? Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His pleasure. Brothers and sisters, anything that we do that is pleasing to God is because God is working inside of us. He has given you the Spirit to enable you. He has given us a new nature to desire to do His will. And all of this has been provided to us on the basis of Christ's completed work on the cross. This is why Paul can say that he has confidence that we are being brought to completion. Because Christ is not a partial Savior. Christ saves to the uttermost. He merited salvation for you. And so based on that salvation that He merited for you, based on His works, your salvation is a done deal. It's set in stone. But likewise, these saints gave evidence to Paul of the fact that they were truly his by their words and by their deeds. But Paul's certainty wasn't grounded in man's working, but rather in Christ's finished work. Yet at the same time, they're all called to a common task. They're all awaiting the same thing, the day of the Lord, Paul says in verse 6. Yet they haven't attained completion or perfection, and so they all press on toward that goal together. They are working out the Christian life under the power of God. They all are at the same time having to deal with sin and temptation and the devil. This unites them. This brings them closer together. For you see, they are fighting a common enemy. As believers, we are called to practice that which we have seen and that which we have heard. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We are to think about that which is pure, that which is honorable, that which is lovely, even when it seems in our surroundings there is nothing that is pure, honorable, or lovely. You see, but Paul doesn't tell them to focus on earthly things, right? He's telling them to focus their attention on heavenly things while they await the return of Christ. But this can be hard. This can be hard. We probably have all heard stories or perhaps we've known of people who have dealt with extremely tough times. Perhaps a, a wife who, uh, whose husband passes away. And then within a month or two, you hear a child then dies, perhaps in a, a car accident. And because of that, months later, she can no longer pay her bills and she loses her house. That's a reality for some people. And it certainly can be hard to maintain a heavenly mindset when things on earth seem to be going so bad for you. Especially when one has to do it alone. Yet in these times, when we hear of our struggles from our brothers and sisters, they should not be doing this alone. We are here to encourage one another with Scripture, to pray for one another, to be an ear to listen. We are here to provide physical help as well as perhaps financial help. But going through tough times together can make those tough times a bit easier. And when we struggle, when we rally around the one who struggles, this is something that brings our bond closer. It brings us closer together. We are being brought closer together through the adversity as we are being kept and we continue to work out this Christian life. And this is why we have been brought together, brothers and sisters. We are brought together to run this race together, not by ourselves. We can think of uh, a marathon. Uh, in a marathon, everyone has a common goal. You're running to that finish line. And we've all probably seen video of, of uh, runners of, of, of different strength. And perhaps one runner collapses before the finish line. And the one who was ahead of him, we, we see turn back around. And he picks the one up. And they go to the finish line together, walking. This is not unlike the Christian life. For we are all headed to the same place, the finish line. We are heaven bound. Yet during our time on earth, we may need help to get up in the race. We may need to help others to get up in the race. But the only reason that we are in the race and can help one another is because of the power of God. But it should bring us joy to know that if any are our true brothers, they are going to the same place that we are. And so we should desire to help one another if we stumble desiring to see them, just like us, finish the race. And this creates that oneness. We know that we aren't alone in this race. We are all going to the same place. And God will make sure that we get there. But you see, God uses appointed means to do so. He uses one another to help us, to help one another. He uses Paul, we see, use encouragement to help these saints. Yet Paul is also pleased and brought to joy because the saints are partakers of grace with Him, both, he says, in His imprisonment as well as in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. This is our third and final point this morning. Partakers of grace. As a closeness exists between the saints because they are all partakers of that very same grace as they are all in def- defending the Gospel. 
What a great benefit, what a greater benefit can it be for those who have been chosen by God to champion the cause of Christ. What a privilege is it when we think about it that God chose us to champion His cause, to tell others of the Gospel, to share the good news. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to view this as a high honor. And that means being faithful in defense and confirmation of the Gospel. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul tells the saints, he desires to hear that they are of one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the Gospel. He tells them in chapter 2, verse 3, to look up for those who would seek to bring a different message. In chapter 2, verse 16, he tells them to hold fast to the word of life. They are called as partakers of grace, having divine favor, being those partners in the gospel, being preserved to defend the faith, to defend against negative attacks, to dispel those negative attacks. Yet, likewise, they are also told to confirm the gospel a positive attack to declare the true word, the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ alone. And so Paul had respect for his brethren. It brought him joy to see that they were what God was doing in their life and the exercise of the grace they were showing in taking up the cause just as Paul. Think about if you uh, think about a job that you worked in. If you were the one who was doing all the work, if everyone else on the job site was Uh, sitting together, laughing, joking, playing, and you were forced to do all the work. Would this cause you to have respect for your brothers, for your co-workers? Of course not. Would you desire to have a relationship with them? Of course not. Would there be any closeness in adversity? Of course not, because you would be the only one having adversity, because you would be the only one working. And so you would be the only one suffering and laboring. And so think about this in terms of, of Paul now in his letter. We can see why there can be this closeness, why there can be this real communion, because the saints were actually engaged in the same labor as Paul was. They were laboring in the same manner, all suffering to some degree, all able to share in similar experiences. This brought them together. This is why Paul can say he holds them in his heart. He thinks about them often. He doesn't cease to pray for them in those times of prayer. There's a closeness he feels amongst his brothers. Do we feel that same way amongst each other? Brothers and sisters, do we feel this way about each other? If not, perhaps we need to think more about God's grace in the life of our brothers and sisters. Perhaps we need to think about the way that our brothers and sisters exercise that grace in their life. So to cultivate this oneness between each other, we need to be thanking God for one another. Thanksgiving should not be something that we do when things are going right in our own lives. We ought to be thanking God when things go right in our brothers' and sisters' lives. Think about it. Paul was in jail, yet his prayer was not about himself. He wasn't sitting there sulking, pouting about his circumstances. Rather, he was thankful for the grace God had given to his brothers and sisters and their good circumstances. We at times see God working in others' lives and this can make us mad or jealous. Why didn't God give me that ability? Why didn't God give me that talent? Why didn't God give me that opportunity? Why didn't He provide me those finances? But this is how the world thinks. This is not how we are to think. For the world thinks that they're entitled to everything. But this is not the way it is. Rather, 
we should learn from Paul that we are to dwell upon those things which are lovely about one another. Think about those things that we share in common. We share Christ in common, the Spirit, the Gospel, desire to worship God, the struggle of the Christian life. We share in sin and temptation and the attacks from Satan. This is how we become closer one to another as we discover how we are more and more alike in Christ. For we suffer together, we laugh together, we cry together, and we rejoice together. This is what it means to have closeness or oneness through adversity. So we must be steadfast in prayer for one another. We must rejoice in the gifts of one another as we are partners in the Gospel with one another. We must aid one another if one is attacked for the sake of Christ, knowing that God uses these things for the purpose of of preserving us until the day of Christ, until the day of His return. But until that day, we are being knit together this body more closely every day, creating a oneness as we together work towards that same goal, being in the presence of Christ our Savior forever. Please bow your heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word which You have given to us in which You have revealed Your will and what You desire of Your people. Father, we thank You that You have saved us and gathered us into a community of believers. Father, we pray that we would look to the interest of our brothers and sisters that we would be faithful to the Gospel not only out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, but out of the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters, to desire that we do not cause them to stumble, to desire that we, uh, one another, side by side, uh, are walking toward that same goal, that same finish line, running that same race. And so, Father, we pray for the power of God in our lives to continue us in the faith until the very end yet that we might be partners in the Gospel and partakers of Your grace as we live upon this earth, that we might do the will of the One who has called us. And so, Father, we thank You that You have saw fit to choose us as Your people to be those who proclaim the name of Christ. We thank You for this great blessing and privilege. We ask that Your Spirit would thus apply all that we have learned today in our weekly lives, that we would be those who would uh, see the beauty and grace of uh, each other in Jesus Christ, that we would desire to continually be conformed to Your image, that we would continue to draw near towards one another as we make up Your spiritual kingdom here on earth. And Father, we pray all these things in Your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.